0: Continuing This afternoon, our journey through Genesis and especially the creation account past couple of weeks, we we've been looking at the creation and how God created everything with a purpose in mind and how then he ordered everything to fulfill that purpose, which is to be in relationship with God and with each other. That's the purpose for every part of creation. Sometimes we forget that. We live in a world that's, that forgets pretty easily. And Sometimes we, we don't even know it to begin with. And Actually, sometimes we forget a lot of things. Maybe we don't know a lot of things. Uh, there was a, a, a video somebody produced um, that just kind of went over some everyday things that you may not know actually have purpose. So I was kind of surprised when I watched this little video of, Some of the purpose in everyday things that we use, I didn't even know. So if we show that little video.
1: The little sharp point on the cap of an ointment tube is there for a reason too. Most tubes are usually sealed with foil and it's better to avoid opening it with your fingers unless you're ready to say goodbye to your nails. The point on the cap can open even the best sealed tube without a problem. The small bumps on the F and J keys on your keyboard have a little known purpose. They can help you find the right key even without looking at the keyboard. Pretty cool if you want to start blind typing. Ever notice the hole in a ruler? It's there if you want to place it on a hook or draw a perfect circle. Take a look at your iPhone. You see that weird little dot between the camera and the flash? Well, that's a microphone. It's used for recording with the back camera. The tiny plastic disc under the lid of your bottle of soda is not there as part of some competition. It's actually what keeps your drink fizzing. While the cap stops the liquid leaking out, this plastic disc holds the gases inside. Without this thing, cola would just be sweet water.
0: Everyday things you didn't even know had purpose. Did you know all those? You prob- No, you didn't either. All right, good. I was not the only one. I never knew that thing about the, the, the toothpaste tube to to do that. That's pretty cool. Purpose, the purpose of things, if you know them, can be so much more helpful in life. And it's it's helpful, I think, to know the purpose of everyday gadgets that we have, but so much more important to know the purpose of life, to know what your purpose is, to know that God has created you with a specific purpose. Purpose in mind, He has created us as His creation, as humanity, with a specific purpose in mind. And nowhere is that more clear than in the first few chapters of the Bible. And so today we're gonna we're gonna make it to Genesis chapter two, and we're gonna we're gonna cover the whole chapter uh, this afternoon. So put your seatbelt on because there's a lot of stuff here. So if you have your Bible or follow along behind me. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 2, from verse 1. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. There he put the man he had formed. The Lord God had made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from the from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is is the Pishon, and it winds, winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Arom, aromatic resin and ox are also there. The name of the second, second river is the Gihon, It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it, to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. No suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man The man said, Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Genesis chapter 2. So in this chapter... We see God's purpose jumping out of the pages in two significant ways. The first is rest. We read Genesis 2:2. By the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. We see that rest is important. The passage actually raises a question in my mind, perhaps in your mind too, uh, if God is omnipotent, all powerful, why does He He need to rest? I mean, when I've had a busy day, a busy week, uh, I like to take naps. In fact, I I'm kind of I'm kind old, so I need lots of naps. I'd like to rest, but but not so with God. You see, that's why it's important to note that it doesn't say. God needed rest. There's a difference between resting and needing rest. Simply says that he did rest. And it's clear from scripture that he didn't need to rest because God never gets tired. He never grows weary. Uh, he never needs to rest. In Isaiah 40:28, we read: Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom. It means God never gets tired. He never grows weary of the work that must be done. And so we need to know that the Hebrew word translated rest, rested, actually means "ceased." So that's, that's what we're looking at. The, the, the meaning is, on the seventh day, he there's a contrast from all of the creating, all of the speaking, all of the forming. Instead of, of more creating, more work, God ceased from doing. He stopped creating. The Hebrew word is, we get the word Shabbat, and it's, it's the word that means Sabbath. It's built into the whole principle of how we live our lives. We need to know that The seventh day is not a theological appendix to the days of creation, but rather it's the whole focus of ordering everything. That's the reason I'm trying to figure out, you know, you look at Genesis chapter one, you know, you got the the account of creation and all the six days and then chapter two starts with the seventh day, the day of rest. It's because the rest is the focal point of the creation experience. The rest is what God has in mind. It means that God has created the opportunity and the expectation that we cease from our work, our doing, our productivity, our creating in order to recognize and be worshipfully present in God's midst. It's so important, this is so important throughout the Bible that, that God reminds us of that of this in the, the Ten Commandments. And actually, in Exodus chapter 20, uh, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's interesting to know, actually, that in the list of the Ten Commandments, the, the commandment here, the fourth commandment, is longer than all of the other commandments combined. But that's something. It's because we need to cease. We need to, to regularly dwell in the place of rest in worship. Yet the sad thing in our contemporary culture is I believe that many Christians feel like this is the optional thing, that all the Ten Commandments, are pretty important except for this one. This one we get some fudge room. It's okay to do work. It's okay to, to not rest, to, to not worship, but it's it's not so. It is so important. Rest is essential to our spiritual and our physical well-being. If you are struggling with life, if it feels heavy, if, if you've got tests and trials, I'm not just talking about school tests. Of course you got tests. But if you're struggling with life, if you're feeling the weight, if you're if you're struggling, maybe it's because you're not resting and you're not worshiping well it's so important i've struggled with this concept probably more than any other in my entire life because i grew up in a culture where rest was considered something only weak people would do in my culture people people work hard and you you produce and you create and you make and you and you do you know seven days a week and and so i worked and I worked, and I worked, and, and I was tired. I was irritable. I was exhausted, and I didn't even know it. I was so tired and stressed all the time, but then God broke through to my life, as he often does, and he introduced me to sabbatical, which comes from Sabbath, which is the word for rest. Actually, God gave me three months of rest, and with it, I was able to travel. And and actually, you know, some of you know that story. It's for another time. but, But that's the reason we're here in Hungary. Because for the first time, perhaps in my life, I saw through resting the work of God in and around me. And I saw God calling me to something different. I saw God work in the most amazing ways. And it happened in the midst of Sabbath rest. So my friends, let me encourage you. Make the rest a priority. God has purpose for your rest. He, the creation all leads to the account of resting, which is being in that community with God, in worshipfully present with God. We were made for this relationship, and so rest, ceasing our doing, our creating, our working is so important in our relationship, because that's when we trust, that's when we know, that's when we experience God. So the first purpose that we see today is rest. The second purpose we see today is relationship, rest and relationships. Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. The details here of how life actually gets started uh, are a little less than spectacular. Because basically, it, it means we, we start with dust. That's, that's a little different image than what we looked at last week Roman was sharing about being made in God's image. And it's a, it's a glorified, it's a wonderful picture. But here, we start out dust. I don't know how much you know about dust, but... There's a lot of dust around, and in fact, dust gets into your house. It gets into your shoes. It gets everywhere. And most people spend a lot of time trying to keep the dust out of their lives. I mean, dust is not a fun thing. Uh, it, it's it's not magical. It's not special. And in most cases, dust is downright degrading. Uh, we have this phrase in English. It's called "eat my dust." Hopefully, you've never heard that. Um, but if you have, it's, it's usually means in the context of some kind of competition, and you're you're wishing the next person uh, that they get far behind. That it's kind of a uh, "I'm going to beat you" thing, and it's whatever it is. It's never positive. There's never anything positive about dust, and yet we start with dust. And so what it means? It means that man, humankind, is made out of the ordinary. The only thing special about humanity, the only thing special about you and me is the breath of God in us. That's the difference. Everything, the breath of God is what makes us special. It is the very purpose of God that sets us apart from everything else in creation. Genesis 2.8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The next thing we know is that God has made a great garden and put the man into the garden. And it's a very nice garden. In fact, it's, it's important that we spend a little time thinking about the garden because when people think of gardens, they typically think of one of two things. One kind of garden is usually, you know, maybe about a meter or 2 meters by 2 meters and you plant vegetables you plant strawberries or you plant peppers i don't know what you plant you plant something and and it grows and it's it's work and it's little and it's and it's a garden that's one idea of a garden but the but another idea of a garden is something more like a botanical garden where you go and you see you know you see meters and meters, square meters and square meters of, of vast vegetation and beautiful creation and trees and, and a work of, of someone's art. It's a display. And, and that's, that's the idea. That's the kind of garden that God has created. That's the right way to think about the garden. In fact, I like to think of it as a place. There's this place called Bush Gardens in Tampa, Florida. I don't know if you've never been, probably, or seen anything about this place, but it is uh, 136 hectares, which is 336 acres, um, some really, really big number of square meters uh, of land that is the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen. I mean, well, maybe not, but it's beautiful enough. And and there's over 2,700 different kinds of animals here in this park. And and the entire park is... is, uh, Dressed in landscape designed with themes from Africa or Asia. That's funny. That's kind of our idea picture, but uh, it's cool. And, and then there are roller coasters in this park. There are thrill rides in this park. There are adventures for the whole family. Uh, you can't see it in the picture, but that's kind of the animal life of, of what Bush Gardens has, has to offer. And, and I believe that this is kind of the garden that God planted, but only God's version is much better much bigger. The roller coasters are much more cool. (laughs) God's idea of a garden is a good garden. So don't think, don't think you are talking this little vegetable garden. That's not it. That's not the picture. We're thinking a vast display that God created for humanity. This was God's idea. And he gave man purpose in the garden. God puts man in the garden to work it and to take care of it. But there are boundaries in this garden. You see, they can eat from any tree except one. God says in Genesis 2, 17, you must not eat from the tree of good and knowledge, of of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. In any relationship, there are boundaries. And especially in our relationship with God, there are boundaries boundaries it's important to know that these boundaries they're not designed to to oppress us or to imprison us the boundaries are actually there for our protection they're there for our benefit the boundaries help us enjoy life i'll, I'll never forget there was this elementary school that i used to drive by and it was the the road was a really busy highway, and cars were driving fast all the time and and we'd drive by this school and i I look up and you know there were the, there was the building some distance from the road, and then the kids the children would be outside they'd have recess they'd have playtime outside and and but they were always up close to the building because, you know, it would be, be a big deal, right? For the kids, you could just see it in your worst nightmare. Some ball bouncing down the, the hill and into the middle of the road. And some kid chasing after them. I mean, it's a horrible thing that could have happened. And so you drive by that school and the kids were always up, up by the school, up by the building. You, you can bet that the teachers must have been like, you know, guarding those kids that they couldn't get so close to the road. But one day... I was driving by that that school on that busy highway, and I looked and I saw the kids. They were close to the road. And I thought, what is going on? But then when I got closer, I realized that someone had built a fence along the side of the road. The kids now had a fence. But you see, the fence, the boundary, is what enabled the children to have the opportunity to utilize the entire yard. The fence, the boundary, actually gave them more freedom. The boundary kept them safe. The boundary allowed them to experience the purpose of the full playground. You see, that's what God's boundaries are. Their they, intention, they're, they're, they're made for us to enjoy life to the most, to the fullest. God establishes boundaries in our lives because he wants us to enjoy relationships to the fullest amount possible. And it leads us to Genesis chapter 2, 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now this is the first time in creation, in the creation account, where God looks at something, he says, oh, this is not good. This is the first time we read this. in in Genesis. He, He says it's not good because humanity is not yet complete. There is still work to be done. There is still something that needs to be in place so God creates again. So the idea here is completion. That's important because God is not trying to create someone who just cooks the meals. Someone who just washes the dishes. Someone who just tidies up the house. This is not what God is doing. It's important to understand what God means by helper. Because this word helper, it sounds a little bit like in the English language. It sort of sounds like that that God has made Adam a nice little butler. There's a helper, right? The English gives it that impression. But you have to know that is not at all what the word means in Hebrew. Because this word helper throughout the Bible is almost exclusively used to describe God. And my friends, God is not your butler. (laughs) Know that. It is is used in verses such as Psalm 118.7. The Lord is with me. He is my helper. And when it's used for people in the Old Testament, in the Bible, it's usually referred as a political ally or a military reinforcement. So, when God sets out to create a companion or a helper, he is out to create an ally, a counterpoint, a counterpart, someone with whom Adam will enjoy life, will work together, and will enjoy a relationship. It is in the context of relationship. And for those of you who are married, you know, you know this is true. There is nothing better than teamwork in marriage. I mean, God puts you together for a purpose. You are better as a team. It is when you work together. That's when you experience the joy, the, the, the intent of, of the marriage relationship. It is a community of being together. That's what God is creating. Before... Creating Eve, there's this charming little story. You can almost you can almost envision this happening where there's the parade of animals coming before Adam. And Adam's, he's naming all these animals. It turns out Adam's a pretty good namer. He says, ooh, that thing with the stripes, black and white stripes, I'm going to call that a zebra. Ooh, good job, God, I like that one. Ooh, this thing with this really strong, tall neck with some brown spots, I'm going to call it a Giraffe. And so Adam gets into to all this naming, but, but after he, he keeps naming these animals, he says, but God, none of them are my type. <laughs> they, 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 they don't, none of them really, they're not like me. I, I'm not a zebra guy. I, I'm not a giraffe guy. And, and so God sees that there's something. And so in verse 21, the Lord God causes the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he's sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. It's important to know what this word rib means. Because honestly, it doesn't sound like a very significant part of the body, right? I mean, why not the head, right? Why not the heart? Where you get this little rib. Well, here's what we need to know. Because because if we're not careful, we might get the impression, and I'm not gonna let you do that today we might get the impression that Eve is somehow less significant than Adam. It's not true. Because we need to know that in the Bible, there is a proper anatomic word for rib, for the rib bone. And the Aramaic, it's the Aramaic word, Allah. And we see it throughout the Bible in places like Daniel. There's a story of a bear. He's got three rib bones in his mouth in Daniel 7 5. But in Genesis... When Eve was being formed, it says that God took a tzela, not a ala, a tzela. It's a different word, an entire different word. It's not talking about an anatomical bone in in one's body. Uh, This word tzela is never translated as rib anywhere else in the Bible. Uh, In fact, in all 40 other instances, it is translated as half or side in fact, Exodus 37, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, has two separate tzela, two separate sides. Or, or the door on Solomon's temple is split into two tzela, two parts, two sides. So the word here, this word for rib, tzela, it means that Eve was equal to Adam and created to complete humanity. The Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. This beautiful, perfect woman was presented to God, to to the revived, was presented by God to the revived Adam, who immediately recognized her as part of him. And from the account of it, this is where it gets exciting, we can see that Adam really liked this one. Uh, He really liked this part of creation. That's what it says in Genesis chapter 2, 23. The man said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Now it's important. Adam is not naming her like he named the animals. It's not the same. Instead, this is an expression of delight. Delight. Instead, it's translated, this is now. I mean, get this in your mind because it is an exclamation of delight, meaning at last. As one commentator says, wow, now there's something new in the garden. Up until this point, Adam has been used for the word, uh, has been used for man, but now the word is ish. It changes. And, and, and the word for woman is Isha. So you have ish and Isha. And the connection in Hebrew is as obvious as it is in English today. This is one place where the English actually gets it right. In fact, one commentator says that when Adam looks at Eve for the first time, he says, whoa, man, which is connected to the word we say, woman. It's intentional, and it's the same way in Hebrew. This is an an exclamation of delight. Adam is not naming Eve. He's delighting in what he sees in front of her. You see, it's an attraction. It's God's plan. The attraction is natural. God's plan is that your body becomes aware of this attraction somewhere in adolescence, all right? And in and, and, and early adolescence, and, and for a while, you, you begin to notice, I'm going to give you a little health history here. Uh, you begin to notice people of the opposite sex, And and you begin to notice that. And then it's a natural thing, but, but God's plan is that this attraction becomes eventually very specific and very focused on one person. So much so that you're willing to put all those other attractions aside to focus on that one attraction because the relationship you want is marriage and the commitment you are making is for a lifetime. This is God's plan. This is God's plan. It means that you were made for relationships. You know, last week or two weeks ago, we we had our circle, and I'm going to recreate it because I want you to keep this image in your mind that you got God the Father and God the Son who are creating, who are... Jesus is speaking. The Holy Spirit is there. The Father is creating, and you have a community and God is perfect community, by the way. And in that moment, humanity is invited into community. And for a while, it, it's going well. It's a perfect community. Because humanity is in relationship with each other. And they trust each other. They work together. They're teamwork. They don't fight about stuff. They, they communicate well. They, they speak each other's love languages. They bring each other flowers. I mean, there's lots of them in the garden, Right? It's going well for humanity. Go team. And God, of course, is perfect. God is always perfect in in community and in relationship. And it's working very well. Everything's perfect. But then, sadly, things sort of go bad. And I I don't think I'm spoiling the story. I know I'm getting into next week. But I, I don't think I'm spoiling the story. What happens? They decide to eat the fruit they're not supposed to eat. They disobey God and brokenness results. And it's been downhill ever since. You know, ever since that sin, that brokenness, humanity has been trying to get it back together again. We've been trying to get that relationship right, but it just it just can't, it won't happen on our own. But here is where the good news comes in. Because then we'll skip ahead to the New Testament. Because the good news is that through Jesus there is a way to restore this community? And it's only through Jesus. Only Jesus can can make this relationship right again. And that's why we call it righteousness. It's the right kind of relationship. And it happens only through Jesus. Romans 5 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what makes Christianity unique. The God we worship actually wants a relationship with us. Isn't that cool? Christianity isn't about a bunch of rules designed to keep us in line. Christianity ultimately is about a relationship with God that's right, a right relationship. And here's the truth. Not only does God crave this for us, but we do too. In our deepest of hearts, we crave a right relationship with God and with each other. We crave it in our hearts. There is something in us that wants to be known by God and known by each other. We crave it because we were made for relationship. It's the purpose of creation. So let me ask you, how is your relationship with God? Do you feel that God is distant, kind of off out there somewhere? It's it's kind of a cold relationship, we would say to use hot and cold, you know, distance that your relationship with, with the church, with Christianity, with Jesus is a bunch of rules. Or do you feel that God has brought you very deep, very close? very personal in relationship with him such that you have joy and purpose in your life and your delight is to worship God. It goes back to the seventh day. It is your delight, your purpose to worship and be in community with God. You have to know, you have to know today. If there's nothing else you remember today, remember this. Jesus deeply desires you to be in a close relationship with him and with others. So much so that he prayed for you. He prayed for me on the night that he was betrayed. On the night before he died, he prayed in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one as, Father, as just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. Do you believe? Will you trust Jesus? Will you accept the purpose of God in your life today to be in community? Do you believe it? Do you believe that's what he wants? Are you willing to come and ask for he would make your right your relationship with him right, that your relationship with us would be made right. Are you willing to trust Jesus for the righteousness, the right kind of relationships? Let us pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you are still at work in our lives. You are still drawing us to you, helping us live in a right relationship. Lord, help help us to be honest about that. Help us to get past the sin that keeps us Help us to to enter confession and repentance, to know and experience your forgiveness and your plan for righteousness, for the right relationship, so that we can know joy, hope, peace, and, and ultimately celebrate our desire to worship you. We ask and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.